For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guides for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So prepare to be empowered. Now, here are your show me the money hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. As always, Randy, I think age has privileges, so I'll start with you. Now that you're an old guy, Randy, hey. but <laughs> you and I are about be, the be same age. Be careful with that. Yeah, be careful with that. How are you doing this morning, Randy? I am doing very well. My wife and I got up. We took a 15-mile bike ride this oh. morning at about 4.38 a.m., oh. and it was awesome. You know, when you wake up, though, at 4.30, you're getting on a bicycle. Randy, it's cold. It's dark out there. Don't you ever have the inclination to just maybe turn over and go back to bed? Probably every time before I do it, but then I think... <laughs> Anybody can do that, right? Even well, a dead yeah. fish can float downstream, but it takes a strong <laughs> fish to swim upstream. There you have it. <laughs> As we've discussed before, you do more before about 6 o'clock in the morning than a lot of people do most days. So my hat's off to you, Randy. Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. You are certainly welcome, my friend. Hope our listeners are doing well today. We are on the doorstep of November already. My gosh, where is the time gone? We're probably, I don't know, what do you say, maybe seven, eight weeks away from Christmas at this point. I've heard of this thing called the Santa Rally. So what is a Santa Rally? And I understand that we're poised for one right now. So, Jeff, a Santa rally is really uh, something that happens toward the tail end of the year. Technically, the Santa Claus rally is from Christmas to New Year's. The last time I looked at the statistic, it was about 92% of the time the market is up from Christmas to New Year. But a lot of times, analysts and, and the news kind of starts looking at the Santa Claus rally around Thanksgiving through the end of the year. It's just a seasonality trigger. You know, we've been through summer and everybody was out with their kids and then we have back to school and then and everybody's getting settled. And then we're starting to get into the holidays where all the shopping's happening, the excitement around the stock market, the excitement around spending money and all what that's going to do to stock prices starts to grip the market. And in a lot of cases, especially if we are oversold going into it, Typically, there can be uh, one of those rip your face off rallies, uh, you know, if, if we're not careful here. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to have one of those, but I do think the market is positioned for a, a potential rally into your end. Uh, you know, after the first year, that remains to be seen. But I think there's a lot of negativity out there, and usually that gives the the market room to run. Certainly around uh, you know the holidays. Unless I'm misunderstanding you, Jake, you said that there's a possibility of a rally now until year end. Does that mean there's a possibility of an early Santa rally, like in early November? Yeah, I think uh, you know since the end of July, you know the market's been a little rough. We were ahead of ourselves. We were overbought. You know, your stock market correction. That's a that's another word for it, right? We just have a little bit of a got a little too far too fast and now we're gonna we're gonna back it off, but now we've backed it off quite a bit. You know, we saw last week some signs of uh, some signs of life. You know, we saw Bitcoin have a pretty good rally and things like that. And not that Bitcoin's the be all end all, but it does show a, an appetite for risk potentially. 
uh, we'll probably see again. We'll probably see a rally. How high it goes, I don't know, but I think uh, it certainly wouldn't shock me to see four, five, six percent into the year end. Could be more than that, and there's certainly a lot of people calling for more than that. But there's also a lot of people with a lot of cash and people kind of on the sidelines, and that really sets the stage for a rally that people don't really like because they're not participating in it. When I hear the term rally, people get excited about that because it means that prices are going up. When prices go up, I mean that's the time to sell. It's not really the time to buy. The time you want to buy is when things, you know, as Warren Buffett said, blood is running in the street. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, if you if you really want to make good investment decisions and make good investments, um, you know, you really want to be doing kind of the opposite of what everybody else is doing a lot of the time, meaning when it looks really bad is really when we want to be deploying capital and getting it to work. And when things look really good is when we want to be cautious because, you know, we're running out of buyers and eventually the markets can turn. A lot of people mistake the fact they think the economy is the same as the stock market. And those two things are, are definitely not the same thing. It's very possible to have the stock market going down in a good economy or going up in a bad economy. And so don't don't be fooled into thinking that, that there has to be a good economy for there to be a rally. Right. Or there has to be a good global stage, or Israel and Ukraine have to be perfect in order for there to be a rally. Uh, that's in, in a lot of cases, it's actually kind of the opposite. So when we have a rally like this, is this the time that we take profits? And I mean, how do we know that this rally is going to continue and that maybe we'll have a, even a bigger rally at the beginning of the year or even in the first quarter? So the markets hate uncertainty. And so there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but that also paves the way for there to be less uncertainty, right? So if we start to get uh, start to see who the next president may be, that's going to calm markets a little bit. Let's let's take the S&P 500, whether it's 4200, 4300, 4400, whatever it is. The market is the product of all the current information that we have, meaning Joe Biden's the president, the market's pricing in another 4 years of Biden. It's pricing in conflict in the Middle East. It's pricing in continued conflict in Ukraine. It's pricing in the current earnings and current earnings outlook of all the companies, the overall general economy and the jobs market. So jobs market, economy, earnings, war, president, those all those things plus each other equals 4,300 S&P, let's say. And so if we start to change that formula where president, we get a different president, therefore almost all those things get better uh, with with almost any other president that can fog a mirror, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's going to be a rapid repricing to whatever the equation, whatever the sum of all those parts is, uh, and people will be caught off sides. And I mean, I think it's totally plausible we could be at all time highs middle of next year without without too much trouble. The question is, is you know, how clear and how quickly do things become clear? You know, with the speaker and the presidency and all that. There's a few situations where you could make the case for some really big rallies. What we're looking at right now is overall positioning in the markets is too negative. There's a lot of, you know, $50 billion hedge funds out there that are way off sides with way too much cash. And what's going to happen is, is as the markets go up a little bit, their $100 million plus net worth clients are going to be coming to them going, uh, why am I not participating in this rally? And so, oh, you're right. Okay. So they start putting money in, which makes it go higher. And then hedge fund number two, who was holding out, is now going, oh, wait, 
we're offsides too. We need to put the money in. And it goes higher and goes higher and goes higher. And so the question is, is after all that happens, we'll have to look around and say, hey, is this a fair valuation or is it too far? That's kind of what we do on a daily basis over here. Yeah. So Jake, you know, you, you referred to the fact that you were going to look at if we had this rally, you know, is the market fairly priced or not? You referred earlier to, you know, how do we determine that? I guess is one of the things we look at. We look at this thing called the relative strength index, but we also look at price and earnings ratio. In other words, are are these stocks in the stratosphere? You know, uh, we've come through COVID. We've printed all kinds of money. And so for the longest time, people were so speculative and they drove prices through the roof. But, you know, I still think that at some point in time, valuations must make sense based on companies actually being able to make money. One of the things that came out over the last 15 years is, you know, Warren Buffett actually suggested, you know, when the markets were really rallying and 2018, 2019, and we're really starting to hit new highs, uh, you know, almost daily. A lot of people are like, wow, this, the market seems really expensive. And he said, well, you know, you have to compare it to the risk-free rate of return. Meaning if we have 5% safe interest, the market's worth a certain multiple. Historically, that multiple is maybe around 14 or 15. You know, we're at 23 today. So we're a little expensive, but maybe it's simply because we know that interest rates are going to be headed back down and we're still used to those lower interest rates. But he suggested that instead of 15, if interest rates are zero, maybe the multiple's 50. If you can't get any interest anywhere else and we have all this free money that got printed, maybe the multiple needs to be adjusted upward. And it turned out he was dead on and the markets, you know, uh, were very comfortable at much higher multiples. And so looking forward, we have to have at least a, a look at where we think interest rates are headed long term. You know, I, I personally think that if interest rates get to six or seven, where you can go out and buy a six or seven percent one year CD, I think there's a lot of money that exits the stock market. Yep. Ultimately, your opportunity cost, meaning what are you not doing with that money? is kind of what determines in part what's appropriate and how high a, a given market can go. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about current events. We've been talking about the market. And if you have questions about how all this affects you and your journey towards retirement and you want some answers, then I want you to request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review. You can do it right now by calling 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you're going to get a friendly voice on the other end of the line. More than likely, it's going to be Ashley who'll gather just some very basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Randy or Jake or both to create your path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, this is not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last 30 plus years. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this, and certainly there is no judgment. Again, that telephone number, 417-889-7233. Why not do it today? 417-889-7233. And request your complimentary consultation online, if you will, at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. We appreciate you joining us every Saturday here for your fiscal fitness and your financial education here on Show Me the Money. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back here on our show, we're going to be talking about risk tolerance. How often should you review your risk tolerance and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Randy and Jake Floyd, with Jeff Shade. 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about how often should you review your investment portfolio? Right. And how often should you review your risk tolerance? That's something that I think everybody needs to be aware of. Risk tolerance. What is risk tolerance and how tolerant can I be of risk depending upon how old I am? So let's get into that first and define what risk tolerance really is. So, Jeff, risk tolerance, there's there's several uh, different uh, keys to that. Like you said and kind of alluded to, depending on how old you are, uh, has a lot to do with it and what your time horizon is for potentially needing your cash and your money. Let's just go down through several scenarios here. Let's say that you have sold a house and or you've maybe inherited some money and you're looking to buy another house or buy some land or something with it like that, well, you would certainly have a different risk tolerance than if you were planning to hold that money for 10 or 15 or 20 years in a retirement account before you were spending it, right? Because you know right now that you know we've had a very volatile market, and so what we don't want to do is put money in harm's way, buy a piece of land when the market's off 5, 6, 7, 8, maybe 10%, and you've lost that money. So depending on what the purpose of money is determines your risk tolerance. Risk tolerance basically says, hey, how much can I reasonably either afford financially to lose or mentally how much can I right. <laughs> can I tolerate losing because there's there's two parts to that uh, there are some people that come in here that say you know what I don't ever want to lose one red cent and mm-hmm. then there are others that come in that say you know we've got a long time horizon we want to be aggressive because we know we're 15 20 years from tapping this money and then of course there's everything in between there so getting back to the original question how often should you review your your portfolio so let me say this here at floyd financial group we are reviewing all the portfolios and the massive portfolio that we manage for people as a group if you will okay now everybody has their own individual risk tolerance but i'm talking about the collective clients of floyd financial group we're sitting here we're looking every day at all the moving parts, right? So we're reviewing it every day. How often should you review it? We're going to tell people, depending on who they are and how they feel, again, because this is somewhat of a, uh, it's one of those things that can kind of nag at you if you don't feel totally comfortable with how often you're reviewing. And there's really no set answer. But I would say this, some people like every 90 days, some people like every six months, and some people like one time per year. But uh, again, how often should you do it? We're going to tell you, we do it here every day. We're always looking at the overall market risk from not only the stock market side, but we're looking at the bond market, we're looking at real estate, we're looking at interest rates, we're looking at short-term interest rates, long-term interest rates. All these things are what go into helping us build and maintain your portfolio 90 days, six months, a year. We want you to be comfortable with whatever it is for the client. But I would just tell you this, the longer people have us as advisors, they typically tend to go six months or a year because they know we're watching it every day. I think it's important too to distinguish between the markets are always risky and we're always watching that. Um, but I think like your overall philosophy on risk probably isn't going to change every 90 days or six months. Meaning, you know, if you're kind of a risk off type of person or like one of these people that doesn't want to lose one red cent, you know, you're probably not going to wake up a week from now and go, you know, I think let's go to Vegas and just put it all on black 17. You know, I think evaluating your overall philosophy and like really answering some, some questions about how you feel about risk, you know, I think that can even be a year, maybe even two or three years, depending on where you're at in the cycle. If you're 40 and you're just starting to hit your earning years and you're really socking money away for retirement, it's probably not going to change too much when you hit 41. 
right? But as you start to get closer to retirement, 55, 60, 65, um, when you start hitting those major milestones, or certainly when you get five years out from retirement, there should be a pretty, a pretty significant risk shift in your thinking because we can't afford to have to go work another 40 years when you're 60, right? And have to go do it all over again. So we have to be, and again, this, that kind of feeds back into what Randy was talking about, about risk capacity, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, how much risk can you afford to take versus risk tolerance, which is how much risk do you want to take? Again, one of the things that we're, we're always looking at here from person to person, couple to couple, is just trying to make sure that, you know, if you're like a lot of couples, you know, the, the, the man in the relationships, like, I can take as much risk as, I, as you can put at me, you know, and then the, the wife is like, yeah, but I don't want to lose too much money and I like to sleep at night. Heaven knows that, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life, right? Right. And so, um, <laughs> you know, we can, we can err to the side of uh, making sure you're, you know, the missus sleeps at night. It could be reversed in your situation. Uh, and so we want to make sure that uh, not taking that little bit of extra risk, but, but making sure that you're, you're sleeping at night and enjoying your retirement, you know, you're not going to lose that much uh, upside. You might gain a lot of quality of life by not taking as much risk as you were during your earning years. As you said earlier, most people do not want to lose, as you said, one red cent. I mean, they're risk averse in that respect. What are the ramifications of not taking enough risk? Let's say that you're 50 years of age and you don't want to lose a red cent. I mean, is there really reward without taking any risk? Yeah, so let's talk about that for a minute. So, you know, if we look back over our shoulder, you know, if we'd have bought 30-year treasuries in 1981, we'd have made all kinds of money for about 30 years. <laughs> and then we'd have gone back out and maybe rebought into the treasury market or the or the bond market. The thing is, we want to make sure that we are taking enough risk to support the lifestyle of what we're trying to withdraw from our, you know, retirement portfolio. Now, let's be clear about that. If you're going to come in and tell me you, you want to take out 10% per year from your retirement portfolio and you want me to build it and not run out of money, I'm going to send you down the road to somebody else because that's just not going to work out no matter where you go. That's just too much to withdraw from a retirement portfolio. However, part of the planning process that we go through here is simply going over all those numbers, whether it be you know your Social Security, your pension if you're lucky enough to have one, your 401k, All those different things go into building that portfolio. And when we look at taking too little risk, you know, we're going to short ourselves on returns and ultimately we'll take less income. If we over risk, we can do the same thing. We've told the story about Mr. Brown and Mr. Green here many, many times. And the fact that, you know, one guy retired uh, at a really good time. He He didn't time the market. He just happened to hit the market at a really good time when the market was going up. Mr. Brown just happened to hit a time when the market was going down. Mr. Brown ran out of money because all he did was invest in the stock market and nothing else and took the same withdrawal as Mr. Green. But Mr. Green, having the uptick in the beginning, he had a lot more money than he started with after 25 years of retirement. But here's the thing. If we had had somebody actively managing and watching Mr. Brown's money, Mr. Brown would have not run out of money either. So I think that's the key thing to take away from this. How often should we review you know, we have seen bond the bond market completely turn around in the last few years from where we had a raging bull market for bonds for 40 years. Recently, we've seen a real negative there. It's like the 10-year Treasury bill. It's been all over the news that it was at 5% yield, which is the highest it's been since 2007. So what does that really mean, Jeff? What it really means is people own some of those bonds and they sold them at a discount less than they paid for them to get their money out, which pushed the yield up. 
So I had a couple in here just the other day that uh, they were saying, you know what? We made some pretty good money with our advisor, and then all of a sudden in 2022, it went way down, which everybody had a rough year in 2022 if you're in the market. Uh, market was down not quite 20%. The S&P 500 was for that year. We've had a pretty good rally back this year. We're not back to whole, but they haven't really grown their money hardly any at all. And I got to looking at the portfolio, and the reason was they were stuck in long bonds. And so that just absolutely has been dragged through the mud, and they haven't made any money because of that. So again, going back to how often should we review? Well, your advisor needs to be doing it all the time and making the appropriate moves. And, you know, keeping you informed by having that meeting every, you know, 90 days, six months or a year as things happen. So it's going to lead us to this next thing that we're going to talk about coming up, uh, this thing called a fiduciary. Right. And we're going to talk about that in the next segment. But to round out this segment about risk tolerance, is there a point in time when you get to be, I don't know, 75, 80 years of age where there's just no risk at all that you should be taking? I mean, you should be in totally safe investments. Again, that depends on the environment right now, like Jake had alluded to earlier, if Jerome Powell comes out the 8th of November and says he's going to raise rates again, we're going to have 5.5% money market money, which is mm-hmm. liquid, uh, mm-hmm. short-term maturity, 14 to maybe 21 days, so low risk, get a monthly check. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of people at 5.5% that will not be in a hurry to go back to the market. <laughs> I think also, Jeff, you know, I think the bigger portion of that really goes to how much money are you withdrawing versus how much you have saved and reevaluating that when you're 80 and say, Hey, I really haven't spent any of my money down. And obviously my life expectancy is now, you know, 15 years shorter than it was at when I was 65, if I'm 80 now, right? You know, you can afford to withdraw a little more, you know, and if you're withdrawing a lot of money out of there, that means you can afford to take less risk, not more. A lot of people want to try to uh, you know, shoot the moon so they can provide for their, their overspending lifestyle. But that's mm-hmm. usually the wrong way to go about it. That usually just kind of ensures destruction. So I think the answer is yes. I think that there's some people that get out there and you're like, you know what, you know, I have this 500,000 or whatever the number is and I'm withdrawing money off of it. If I turn it into a million, it's not going to change my life, right? But if it goes to zero, it's definitely going to change my life. And so that's that kind of circles back to the the whole risk tolerance thing. How often should you do it? A, a lot of times, anytime there's a major life development, it's a good idea to revisit that. Randy and Jake, if our listeners have questions about risk tolerance, we do invite them to give us a call and request their complimentary retirement review. Just a friendly conversation between you and Jake and Randy that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so you can proactively adjust your retirement plan to really account for anything that might come down the line. Again, risk tolerance, it's more than maybe just a personal preference. There is a little bit of science that goes into that. So I know that a lot of people may have some questions about that. Now, what's that number to call? 417-889-7233 to get your complimentary Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review. Again, 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation for this review. You can also request your review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. If you're just joining us, this is Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. My name's Jeff Shade. And we have just finished discussing current events and how often you should reevaluate your risk tolerance. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. You're going to get this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey to a successful retirement. 
We're going to take a quick break. Gentlemen, when we come back, we'll be discussing the fiduciary standard and later on in the program, ways to withdraw from your retirement accounts. A right or a wrong way? We'll find out that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shane. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we'll be discussing what is a fiduciary and do I need one? And Randy, you know, advisors can have any number of qualifications, but only one indicates a superior level of dedication to the client's needs, a commitment to the fiduciary standard. And of course, we do call that a fiduciary. So first of all, those people who are just joining us and maybe don't know what a fiduciary is, can you give me a general description of what that means to be a fiduciary? Sure. Doing what's right for the client. Okay, that's, that's a short that's explanation. The shortest, that's the <laughs> shortest explanation I can come up with, but it's really the most succinct. Now, just like anything else, Jeff, you know, you can start to really tear into some things, and we're going to do that. We're going to tear into this thing called a fiduciary a little bit here in a minute. But at its core, that's what it is, is doing the right thing for the client. Now, when you really start to boil this down and you talk about what does the SEC say it is, what does the state of Missouri say it is, and all this, they get to where they are so, oh, how would I even say it? They, they dice it so fine mm-hmm. that it's not possible to do. So let me let me say this. So if I was truly a fiduciary and I am going to go out and be absolutely 100% perfectly a fiduciary, I'm not sure it's even possible because that would mean that we'd have to boil all investing down to one investment Mm -hmm. because there truly is one that's superior. And a financial advisor would have to charge zero and run his business for free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) However, I do think that, you know, the basic definition of fiduciary, you know, is someone who has a legal obligation to act in the best interest of someone else and put their needs above their own. Right. So in our case, putting our clients' needs above our needs and their benefits above our benefits. And I think, you know, it, it seems kind of intuitive that that's how things should work, but it's, it's definitely not, uh, it's becoming more normal, but it certainly was not the normal for the first hundred years of being an investment advisor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of that was more, you know, what could, what could they get away with back in the day as far as what could I, what's the worst thing I could sell you that mm-hmm. I could... I could justify and not uh, have discrepancy over. So I think that the the discussion around fiduciary is a very relevant one. In my opinion, you should not uh, have an investment advisor that is not held to a fiduciary standard. You know, because someone who is not is only bound by suitability, which means they can sell you something they know is garbage as long as it is. You know, from a suitability standard, I mean, is it is it liquid? Do you have enough liquidity? Are you accredited investor? That kind of thing. Um, so, having a fiduciary, in my opinion, is a pretty big deal. You know, there's there's kind of different levels of fiduciary standard too. If you have somebody that's just an insurance agent, they're technically a fiduciary, but are they really? Because they can't offer their clients, you know, the investments necessary to do what's actually in their best interest. Uh, in my opinion, a fiduciary, if they're truly operating as a fiduciary, you cannot be a captive agent for someone. I'll just you know pick on Edward Jones for a minute, right? So Edward Jones can only sell what Edward Jones says they can sell. Mm-hmm. So that seems like a direct conflict to me to being a fiduciary, meaning if I have somebody telling me what I can and can't do and what is and isn't right for my client, then that 
precludes me from being a fiduciary, in my opinion, whether that's, you know, Merrill Lynch or whoever it is, um, which is why Floyd Financial Group is, is an independent agency and we have our universe of investments. You know, we, we probably hold, hold ourselves to a higher standard than a lot of other people uh, when it comes to being a fiduciary. You know, I believe that that also applies to fees, meaning, you know, we try to charge as little as possible and really, you know, kind of keep the doors open and keep everything going on. But, you know, we've set ourselves up to try to be the low cost provider in this area because I believe that's part of being a fiduciary is not overcharging people for uh, the advice that they get. So in general, fiduciaries' responsibilities are to act in the client's best interest at all times and provide clear and timely reports and disclose any conflicts of interest and, you know, execute orders promptly and charge reasonable fees. And as you said, it's to put the client's interests above yours. And as you said, I mean, the fiduciary standard, it's sort of muddied a little bit these days. The fiduciary standard really meant a lot in years past, and it still does mean something. But I understand, as you said, that there are some people who can call themselves fiduciaries technically, but in reality, eh, it's a, sort of a little gray area. So considering all of that, does everyone need a fiduciary advisor? Well, I would say absolutely 100% that you do. So let's say, Jeff, you know that you are a widget expert and I'm looking to buy a widget. <laughs> okay. And right. I know nothing about widgets. I need someone that I can trust to give me the best advice about widgets. And so I need somebody that has a fiduciary standard to do that. Somebody that I know has the ability, the wherewithal, the licensing, the understanding to give that to me. One of the things that they'll always tell you is no matter what licenses somebody holds, no matter what it is, a Series 63, uh, and back to what Jake was talking about earlier in the first hundred years of this, where they had to implement what was called the Blue Sky Law, which is now the Series 63 license that you have to have uh, if you're going to do general stock trading with a Series 7 and that sort of thing. They put that out there because people were blowing things up. Is that right, Jake? Would you go Blue Sky would be, man, there's a lot of upside potential here. So anyway, <laughs> they had to put that into place. But yes, I want somebody to be a fiduciary, and I think you do too, whether it's insurance, buying widgets, buying a car, whatever it is. And that's why we try to, as we go out and we vet people in every area, we try to determine whether or not those people are worthy of that title. Maybe we don't call it a fiduciary, but you certainly don't go and buy products and services from the guy or the gal or the company that's not. Now, I've read that really the only type of advisor legally bound to behave as a fiduciary is a registered investment advisor, an RIA. What's your comment on that? And are you an RIA? We are an RIA. You know, I like all the acronyms we have in this business. We're an RIA. We do IRAs. <laughs> yeah. And you're an IAR of the RIA. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm using AI to get some answers to the questions I have with chat GDP. So, yeah, but an are RIA. Are you really? Yeah. Are you really? No, but a registered <laughs> investment advisor, you are a registered investment advisor. So what does that mean as opposed to someone who is not a registered investment advisor? Again, Jake talked about it. If you're a broker dealer or maybe uh, straight up in, you know, just an insurance agent, while you are held, you know, accountable, but it's not the same as the, as the fiduciary level. The fiduciary level is just a step higher. The broker dealer has a suitability standard. The insurance agent has a suitability standard, uh, and that's it. And suitability is much different than best interest of client. I mean, it's really, really grown into quite, I, I would call it a fairly 
onerous thing for investment registered investment advisors. We have to really be careful, make sure we vet companies, and we're always looking at ourselves saying, hey, are we doing what's best for our client? Are we doing that? Again, we can't go out here and out of the 27,000 mutual funds that are available today say, yep, number 26,927 is the very best one. And it mm -hmm. might be today, but tomorrow it might not be. But we have to look at the overall scheme of things and say, okay, are we doing what's in our client's best interest? And I can tell you that we do here every day. And you have a moral obligation to do that as well, too. I've heard you say that you're giving your clients the same advice as you would give to your mother, father, your sister, and your brother. So it's not only a legal obligation, but it's also a moral obligation. Those people listening to us, and really they want a fiduciary advisor, I think most people would want that. Is it a fair question during an initial meeting to ask someone, are you a fiduciary and how do I know that you're telling me the truth? Yeah, it absolutely is a, a question that I think people should be asking today. There is the moral obligation. The challenge that we have with, with morality, Jeff, is uh, it's hard to govern morality. In fact, it cannot be done. Right. Now, only way that the only way we can try to get this done is people have to put regulations in place to enforce. And so the fiduciary standard gives people, uh, I guess, if you if you want to call it this in today's world, it would be the gold standard of uh, what people are looking for when they go to get advice. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here of Floyd Financial Group, and we're uh, talking about the fiduciary standard. And as I said, there's some confusion about this. There are a lot of people out there who are calling themselves fiduciary. You talked about the suitability standard, and I want to use an example of that, sort of an analogy. Let's say that you're going to buy a car. And I mean, you know, let's say that mom goes in, she's uh, 75 years of age, and it may be the last car that she has, and she goes in, and the uh, dealer tries to sell her a brand new Corvette. Well, you know, that's suitable. It is a car. It'll get you from here to there, but it's not necessarily the car that mom really needs. I mean, that would be a, a broad example of what a suitability standard advisor would be. Right. And then the fiduciary standard would be, okay, this car costs... $100,000. Are you planning to drive this thing really aggressively and hard? Is this, <laughs> yeah. is this what you're looking to do with this? Are you planning to race it on Friday nights at the drag strip? Or are you looking for reliable transportation and maybe save you uh, $70,000? <laughs> That's right. You know, mom doesn't need a Corvette necessarily. I guess it's suitable because it will get her from here to there. But as you said, there are a lot of other questions that you have to ask in order to put someone in the right product. And of course, Floyd Financial Group held the fiduciary standard and really quite proud of that. If you're listening to the program today and you're interested in a fiduciary advisor, someone who is not only legally bound to act in your best interest and put your interest ahead of theirs, but also morally is in that same ballpark, I want you to give Floyd Financial Group a call for your no cost, no obligation, and no judgment Floyd Financial Group review. That number to call to get yours is 417-889-7233. Just a friendly conversation between you, Randy, and Jake to put you on a path towards retirement. As Randy has said many times, it is a no-tie zone, and also there is no judgment. You don't have to have millions of dollars to come in and take advantage of the services of Floyd Financial Group. As Randy has said many times, we will meet Meet you where you are. So once again, if you are interested in improving your financial future or maybe having a second opinion on the plan that you've got, you can get that no cost, no obligation review by calling 417-889-7233. 
417-889-7233, or you can request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show by talking about ways to withdraw from your retirement accounts. There is a right and there is a wrong way. All that and more when our show continues here in 104.1 FM, KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about retirement withdrawal considerations. And Randy, I understand that there are a lot of considerations when it comes to withdrawing money from your retirement accounts. I won't say that there is really a right or a wrong way, but let's discuss what some of the considerations are. The first one, to my knowledge, is not starting with your investment income. I would think that that probably would not be the right way to go. What's your opinion on that? Well, you know, everybody's situation is different. I know we always have to <laughs> allude to this, right? Depending on what your situation is, if you're what your age is when you start get ready to retire, you know, are you going to work until you're 70 like some people do? If so, you may want to turn on Social Security at your full retirement age of 66 and a half, 67, whatever that number is. Or, you know, you may not want to withdraw from Social Security until age 70, and you may want to start pulling uh, from your 401k or your IRA. But I guess the biggest thing I would take away from this word saying not starting with your retirement income, the best thing we can do is just sit down and talk to people about what their needs are in retirement, how much income they're going to have to have. As Jake alluded to earlier in an earlier segment, some people have a lot more money than they're ever going to need. Others, it may be that we need to maximize the amount of money coming out of the uh, investment portfolio. Again, it goes back to this thing, you know, you need a fiduciary, you need somebody that understands all aspects, not just an insurance agent, maybe not just a broker. We've seen all the different mixtures and setups that are out there, and we can help people to really uh, arrive at the best scenario for them. In the conversation about withdrawing from your retirement accounts, how does Social Security play into this? I mean, claiming Social Security at age 62. Yeah, so a lot of people come in and say, hey, when should I take Social Security? I mean, it's one of the most common questions we get. You know, most people, when they come in, they've never set up Social Security because you only do that once in a lifetime, probably. There are those people that would say, oh, you never want to take any Social Security until you're age 70. And then there's those that say, you know, man, I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to start at 62. So let's talk about the challenges with starting at age 62. If you have a lot of savings in an IRA or a 401k and uh, you are not going to be working once you turn on Social Security at 62, it's okay to go ahead and do that. If you're going to be working and you're going to make more than about $20,000 a year, you're going to have to start to pay back some of that Social Security. So that could be problematic, okay? Now, once you hit full retirement age, you can work and make all the money you want and you don't have to pay any Social Security back. One of the things that we look at all the time and then people say, well, I understand that uh, after my full retirement age, say age 67, if I waited till 70, I'll get 24% more. And the answer to that question would be yes, you absolutely would get 24% more. But we always have to evaluate this. How long are we going to live? Now, Jeff, none of us know that. No. But if we did, we could calculate right down to the day and probably even the hour that would be the very best time for you to take Social Security. But we don't have that luxury. So what we have to do is really sit down and look at overall what are the people's plans, what do they want to do, and then that helps us and we help them arrive at the situation and the 
setup that's best for them. And taking Social Security at age 62, it not only affects the amount of money that you get individually, but also it can have some effect on spouses, survivors' income. Is that not correct? Absolutely. It's going to be that way. So let's say that it's a a husband and wife, and the husband's Social Security is larger than the wife's Social Security. When he passes away, she's going to get his. But the thing to remember is if you retire at age 62... And let's say that your wife or your husband retires at age 62, they're going to get roughly 32.5% of yours if it's larger, or you will get that of theirs if yours is larger. So, you know, there's just a lot of numbers to work with here, and it's something that we do every day, and we would just love to sit down and talk to people about it. But simply saying that it's not good to take your Social Security at 62 that's just not right. I mean, you need to uh, look at each person and every couple on an individual basis. Yeah, there's a lot to consider there for sure. Right. And I know that you have a social security optimization program where you can run these figures. There are literally hundreds of different qualifications that you can put in there that will determine when someone should take social security. But really, it comes down to sitting down and talking to uh, the, the people and determining what they want to do, whether they want to work, what other assets that they have to make that decision. If you do make the wrong decision, though, can you do do it over again. Can you stop Social Security and start it again? You can one time, but you will have to pay back. Okay. So you got to pay back all that money if you do make a mistake. We're talking with Randy Jake here of Floyd Financial Group about considerations in withdrawing from your retirement accounts. And if you're taking Social Security, that would be one factor in determining when you should withdraw from your retirement accounts. What is the next one, do you think? So the next one is uh, withdrawing from your 401k and IRA before RMDs kick in. So, you know, it's funny to me, and, and I really, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And, I, and Jeff, I have literally sat with thousands of people. It really bothers me that whenever we look at these articles on any website or wherever it is, they always assume that everybody has $10 million and they don't need any money. They don't need any income. So they don't have to take anything out of their IRA or 401k until, you know, they're about to drop dead. And the so, only and the only real concern in those articles is whether you have $23 million or you're going to get hit with the state tax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, most people are just not in that position. Most people are going to need to draw from their retirement savings. And I often tell people, you know, there's these little furry things that run around all over Southwest Missouri, uh, and they pick up these things called, the correct name is acorns. Right. Around here, they're, ac- they're acorns. Acorns. So they pick acorns. up acorns, and they stuff them in trees, and they stuff them in the ground. Oh, and yeah. guess what they're doing? They're saving for the winter when they know they won't be able to get any more nuts. So it's the same thing in retirement. We've saved this money for a reason, not just to look at it. So we want to be sure that you know we do what's appropriate for people and what's right and we always do everything looking toward what is the taxability of income and how do we make that work efficiently but just to say hey you don't want to do it until 72 i just don't agree it's just individually based yeah we probably have 25 clients total that actually have to worry about taking rmds that are not getting it satisfied elsewhere Mm-hmm. meaning they're not already taking the money out. People saved money and now they're spending it. What a shocker. It, it is an important consideration because you need to pay attention to what's doing to your taxes, um, especially as you're you're withdrawing IRA money. You know, one of the things this, this list kind of alluded to is you, know, you can take savings money as quote unquote income, but it does not report as income to the IRS. So there's a lot of strategy you can have there to make sure you don't get, you know, maybe up into that 22 bracket at 85,000. 
you know, now that's af- obviously after your deductions and all that. So again, right. but I'm just simply saying that there's a lot of, lot to consider. Um, it's very difficult to make any blanket statements in this business and in this, uh, this industry, just because as we like to say on this show and, and as it, as is often the case, it does depend. When interest rates get high and we got 5% savings rates, remember that's tax current. So every year you're going to get a 1099 on that. So whether you pull it from the savings or you pull it from your 401k, it's a moot point because 5% doesn't happen until you're about 80 as an RMD anyway. So just a lot of considerations. Yeah. And at face value, you just don't see these. But, you know, it's kind of our job to help point out these things. We're talking about considerations for withdrawing from your retirement accounts. Should you exhaust other options, do you think, before you tap into your Roth? I would say that that would be an affirmative for most people if they have a Roth. And of course, it depends on the size of the Roth as well and how much income you may or may not need. If you have really done well and at saving a Roth or you've converted over the years, a lot of people say, well, should I convert to a Roth? I'm going to tell you, unless you've got 10 years most likely to take those withdrawals out, to, to pile those up into the Roth where you, we, don't, we don't cross into another tax bracket or something, I don't know that it always makes sense to do a big Roth conversion. But if you've got a Roth IRA over there, yeah, in many cases, it probably is the last money that you're going to want to spend. Now, there's some exceptions to that. If you're doing planning for nursing home, as in IE Medicaid planning, that may be a different story than that. And as we've said many times before in this program, it depends is a phrase that we use quite often because if I'm hearing you correctly, there really isn't one blanket answer for everyone. I mean, there's really no right way or no wrong way. It depends upon the individual. Absolutely, it does. I mean, it's as simple as this, and this will kind of bring it home because everybody's experienced this. So right now, you know, we've got uh, the automobile, automobile manufacturers uh, have a lot of cars that are 2023 model and they got 2024s coming out. They're going to have to clear that inventory. We're sitting back and we're going, okay, we've still got in an, in an 8% interest rate environment for mortgages. We have car manufacturers at 0.9% financing. Now, if I'm going to reach into an IRA and go buy a $50,000 car and add that to my income, that might bump me into the 22% federal bracket. Mm-hmm. So I'm much better off to use the car company's money at 0.9 and make monthly payments rather than taking that money out and just spending it. And there'd be a lot of people that would tell you that's what you should do. The other thing is, in today's environment, if I've got money in savings so there's no taxes on it, I'm still better off to take the 0.9 financing, you know, net 4.1 on my savings. I'm using somebody else's money. So there's always things that come into play, whether it be a home remodel, whether it be buying a house, whether it be buying a lake house, buying a car, whatever it is, there's always a lot of considerations. And, you know, it's just how we think here. Our job is to see the caveats and see the pluses and the minuses to everything and help our client through our fiduciary duty, realize what those things are. Well, Randy and Jake, I'm sure that based on our conversation today about uh, considerations for withdrawing from your retirement accounts, that our listeners may have some questions. And again, I want to remind our listeners that you can always call 417-889-7233. Sit down and have your individual conversation with Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. You can not only talk about considerations about when to withdraw from your retirement accounts, but basically anything that's on your mind that'll help you have a successful retirement. Once again, Floyd Financial Group is held to the fiduciary standard and quite proud of that. They always put your interest above theirs. Once again, that number to call, 417-889-7233. You can also request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. 
Randy and Jake, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I want to thank our fine listeners here in the last bastion of Saturday, Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great fall weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.